Are you ready to take your real estate investing business to the next level? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. With your mentors, Wayne and Gabby. the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Today is Tuesday, May 17th, and we have a high of 15 degrees here in the Edmonton area. Good morning, everyone. We are broadcasting live as we do every morning on the Podbean app. Download the Podbean app, and you can listen in live at 6 a.m. every morning, Monday through Friday. Mountain time. Mountain time. Yeah, I just mixed that up a little bit. <laughs> goodness uh yes live live is live is where it's at that is where you're going to get the most benefit the most value because you get to join in on the chat you get to, to to see everybody who's here you get to have the conversations you get to ask your questions you can click the call in button and ask any questions you want for free, free you coaching. know what i love me you yes you you <laughs> you um made a post the other day about the show and a very common theme of um, people who commented on that post was that because of the show, they have a new morning routine that has gotten them up earlier. Everybody yes. struggles to wake up early and everybody wants to wake up earlier because that's when like that's that's prime real estate of your day. Like you can work out first thing you can, you know, like just get your day started. Right. Yes. But it's such a struggle. And so many people said that because of the show, you know, they, it, it gave them a reason to get up and get that routine in place. And now it's just, it's just what they do. It is funny. Eh? It's funny that it just, it only takes, I'm curious, you know, let us know in the chat um, or feel free to call in and, and, and discuss your experience on that. But it doesn't take very long before a habit or a routine is developed. And now your body just knows that's when I get up. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think you can remember like back in maybe after high school or after college, when you get first got your first job, those first couple of weeks, you know, when they told you that the office starts at seven o'clock or the job site starts at six o'clock, you can remember like, oh my God, my life is over. Like, it, I can't do this. But then eventually it just became your routine. And then you became that one person in the group. You're like, oh yeah, I get up at 530 every morning. No big deal. No big deal. I'm always <laughs> up early. You're bragging about it. But like, you know, I can, you remember that like the first time that that happened, it was very difficult. So um, after a while, that routine, it's just, it's developed and it's, it's, that's your norm now. Um, yeah, I was so happy to hear that, that that's mm -hmm. something that we put together was able to inspire and, and, and help people develop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. New lifestyles. It's, it's, it's and I cool. mean, bonus for us, like we, we have to get up too. <laughs> well, that was, well, I've talked about this, that that was one of the big reasons because I, since I became full time as an entrepreneur, as a, as an investor, man, those first couple of months. Yeah. When you don't have a dead, like a deadline to be at work for a certain time or yeah. I was staying up till 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night and getting up at eight. No big yeah. deal. I'm still getting my eight hours. What does it matter if I stay up till 12 o'clock or if I stay up until um, 10 o'clock, nine o'clock, it doesn't make any difference. I'm still getting the same amount of sleep. Who cares? Yeah. But I was staying up past nine o'clock. I'm not doing anything productive. No. And and I'm sure that someone's going to argue, Oh, but I'm a night owl. And I lie. I, I like doing it in the evenings. I don't, I don't not as productive in the mornings. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, starting your day off. How would I word this? There's something powerful about forcing yourself to get up every morning early. Because you're starting the day with something difficult. You're starting the day with automatically telling your body that I'm in control. Well, and it's an intention. It's like you're obviously getting up to do something. Like you're not you're not dragging yourself out of bed to go sit on the couch. I mean, sometimes some people like to go like make a coffee and mm -hmm. sit and read or something. But usually it's like an intention of I am getting up at like this morning I was supposed to get up. I'm I'm. Uh, battling a little bit of a sore throat. So I stayed in bed to try to get some extra sleep. But um, 
I had my alarm set for 4.30 and it was the intention to work out. And like I had every, I had my clothes laid out. I had the workout selected. There was a live class at five that I wanted to do. And it was the, to wake up to that intention and then to accomplish it, Mm -hmm. to get up and to accomplish it compared to staying in bed and knowing that I missed it. And you know what I mean? And then just like sleeping in and waking up and then just like going about your day it starts on a completely different foot. Mm -hmm. So when like there's an intention that gets you out of bed and then you accomplish it, that is satisfaction. That is a good feeling inside that like you did what you said you were going to do. It's like accountability to yourself. That feels good. We, we spend, we spend most of our lives fighting against ourselves, fighting against what makes us feel comfortable, what doesn't make us feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you can start every day in control and that's why people talk about doing like um, ice plunges and cold showers and things like that. You got to you got to train your body every day. I I, I really do want to implement that. Um, it's difficult because of the, like now now my routine is the podcast, so I'd have to go literally upstairs right to a nice shower after. Um, I do it every morning. You do, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's why people do it is because mm-hmm. they, they literally want to tell their body, no, I am in control today. And little things like that is, is what helps you make faster decisions um, during the day, mm-hmm. helps you do things that make you feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, they're right for you. You know that you need to do that thing, but um, sometimes it's scary. It's uncomfortable. It makes you feel uneasy. Uh, so what I'm getting at is by starting off, you know, like this every day, this is the first step. Mm-hmm. This is the first step in order to, you know, to let's choose a word. Peak performance. Some, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm trying to get at? Like mm-hmm. you're, 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 you're slowly developing just a better you. You are like, this is, this is self-development, right? Mm-hmm. This is personal development. Yeah. Um, anyways, I was extremely happy to see that as well. There was, um, <clears throat> just reading other comments before I read this one. Uh, there was uh, there was a comment that I saw from Kirsten that um, mm-hmm. I really, really liked. Mm-hmm. And, and you know where I'm going with this, Gabby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Kirsten said, it's, it's not just a reason to wake up. We look forward to waking up for it. Um, it doesn't take hardly any time to create the habit when you're excited for it. Yeah. This is, this is something that, um, that is a big key component of our coaching. And it's been a big key component of our real estate investment cabin retreats. When you're trying to determine what your why is and what your, your vision is and, and, and what your goals are, it's important to try and figure out what would be a perfect day for you. What would be something that gets you up that makes you want to get up every single day. <laughs> when you're trying to figure out why you're buying real estate, why you're creating a business, why you're why you're doing these hard things <laughs> outside of your your normal routine in order to better yourself, why are you doing it? Because you're trying to figure out, you know, your your why. Like what's what's going to keep you moving every day for the next 10 years as you build it. When you're thinking about that, you should be considering what what is it that you want to do every day when you wake up? What do you what do you want your day to look like? What's the day? And once you figure out what that day is, what would make you want to get up every morning? And, and and the example I like to use is like when you were a kid. When you were a kid, um, and it was Christmas morning. Yeah, I don't know. Most of us, some of you can still remember it, but I still remembered. But like, I remember four o'clock in the morning and mom said, you know, you're not getting up till seven. You know what I mean? But like you wake up just randomly and it's, you, you roll over, you look at four o'clock and you're like, you know, you call it to mom. Is it time to get up yet? Can we get up yet? No, three more hours. You know what I mean? But you, you remember the feeling, the feeling of just wanting to get up. You know what I mean? And, and and maybe a better example for something that you can relate to right now is like when you have a vacation booked and you haven't been on vacation for two years, you know, 
when it's like you roll over and it's still an hour before your alarm clock, but you still, you get up anyways, because you want to start packing, you want to start getting ready. That feeling right there, that feeling that makes you want to get out of bed. That is, that is like the most amazing way to start a day. I, I've had, I, sometimes I just randomly get them mm-hmm. where like, I'll just get up and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm ready to get up. I, I love this. Cool. Great. I'm going to get up. It's four o'clock in the morning. It's two hours early, but no big deal. And I, I'm, I've always tried to master, like, how do, how do I, how do I get that feeling every single day where I don't hit an alarm clock? I just wake up and I want to get up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you can create a life around that, create a life like that, that's, that, that'd be like the perfect life. Yeah. You know what I mean? How do you create the Christmas morning feeling every day? <laughs> and you don't necessarily need $10,000 or $40,000, $50,000 a month in passive income in order to live a life like that. Right? I'm pretty sure there's a few things you can think of right now. That like, if I could do that every morning, I get up every morning. Right? So think about it. Think about what it would be. What would make you want to get out of bed every morning? If I can be honest, Gabby, maybe this isn't the right kind of show for it, but I'm sure a lot of you know, and a lot of you have dirty minds. We're all human. (laughs) We're all human. We all know what it is that we want in life. You know what I mean? So everybody knows what it is that they want in life that would get them out of bed early in the morning. Right? Can I say that? (laughs) I love that Garrett joined right as you were. He's like, good morning. I made it finally. (laughs) Ha ha. Dang technology. And you're you're like, you go all got dirty minds. You know what would get you out of bed. (laughs) Let's just (laughs) be honest for God's sakes. Can we just be honest for a second? There's no tiptoeing around it. I mean, like (laughs) if you had a personal chef that made you like the best fucking breakfast in the morning, like the, in the world every morning, wouldn't that make you want to get up? Like if you could just like wake up and you smell it, wouldn't you want (laughs) to get out of bed? If you could get out of bed, like if you were like traveling the fucking world and like you just landed in, I don't know, fucking Scotland, you know, the night before and you've wanted to see the fucking, you wanted to see Scotland (laughs) your whole life. Of course, you're going to get up early because you want to get up. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like figure out what that is. Be Mm -hmm. honest. If you want to make love to your wife first thing in the morning, in the morning, every single day, well, I'm pretty sure you can do that right now. You don't need money for that. (laughs) Not unless she has expensive tastes. Right. But that's, that's when you're trying to figure out why you're doing this, really focusing on what it is that would make you have an amazing day every single day and fucking paint that picture, get a canvas and paint it. Write it all down to detailed and then figure out what that, what that life would cost. In a lot of cases, that right there, that perfect morning, that perfect day does not cost that much money. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, f- hell, I've already got you out of bed. The show doesn't cost any money. There you go. I've contributed to your perfect day. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like for real, it's, it's, it's a really important exercise to do to figure out what would make you happy. Yeah. What would make you grateful? I would love to spend every day with my kids. I'd love to walk them to school. I'd love to make them breakfast. I'm sick and tired of having to go and grab my lunchbox from the, the fridge and leave an hour before everybody wakes up. Right? I'm sick and tired that I don't get to pick up my kids from school. I'm sick and tired that I, I work two weeks on, two weeks off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> first things first, you got to begin with the end in mind, what it is that you want. And then you work your way backwards. So when I see Kirsten's, you know, um, comment like that, it reminds me of that exercise, yeah. which is a very difficult exercise to do. Um, one, because it's nobody knows what the hell they want, which is completely evident. I've had thousands of conversations. Nobody knows what they want. Even the best of us, the ones that are here every morning, the ones that are paying for coaching, still don't know what it is you want. I still don't really know what it is that I want. I'm developing it every single day. It's hard. It is very hard. And then, you know, 
second to that. And most of us are too scared to be honest what we want. Yeah. Not afraid to talk about it. So, but if you can figure that out, you're on the first step to, to, to success because now that you know what it is you want, now you have a target. Most of us are running around with, without a target. Yeah. And we're just throwing energy and throwing time and money at different random things with no intention. And it's not productive. If you're just throwing it out there and just hoping to get more doors or more properties or a little more cash flow, because it just makes the most sense financially, it's, it's not intentional because you don't know where it is that you're trying to actually aim. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you would have focused a little more energy on this section over here, or maybe this strategy or this relationship or these, this resource, then maybe you could have got to your goal significantly faster instead of wasting years just trying to do as much as possible. Yeah. Any other comments? Lots of people would get up for bacon. <laughs> there you fucking go. <laughs> How much would it cost to hire someone to come into your house every morning and start making bacon? Oh, God. Legit. Let's just be honest. How much would it cost to have someone come in at 4.30 every morning and just start frying bacon? I was, like, instantly I, trying to think of, like, put. could you, like, put it in, like, the air fryer for, like, a delayed start? But then I was like, oh, no, your bacon would sit out all night. <laughs> waiting for True. it to start True. you know how like you can you know preset your coffee to turn on and stuff it's like, okay i don't think you can do that with bacon we're, we're overthinking this way too much <laughs> we live we live in an uber world okay yeah. we live in a world where people we live in a task paying world people will do things for tasks there are apps where you can um, put out a task that needs to be done in your house and handymen and tradespeople will bid on it There are, you know, you can hire someone to come and pick you up. You can hire someone to bring you food. I'm fairly certain that there's someone who would be willing to come to your house every morning for 30 bucks or 20 bucks just to put some bacon on the frying pan. A day? A day. (laughs) Okay, let's go 20 bucks. 20 bucks times 30 days is 600 bucks a month. I've seen you waste money on significantly worse. (laughs) Your big stupid truck. Does your truck get you up every morning? No. Does bacon? Yes. yes. <laughs> How much would it cost? It would cost you $7,200 a year. Do it. Why the fuck not? <laughs> you waste money on worse. Some of these like NHL, NBA sports packages or like paying, people are paying $50 to $100 a month for like these subscriptions. It's like 20% of that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Loud and clear. Don't be afraid to, to say what it is that you want. We hire a cleaner. How much do we pay for a cleaner every month? Oh, like 400 bucks or something. There you go. There you go. 200 by Does weekly. Does that get me out of bed? Makes me happy every two weeks. <laughs> True. That's about it. And good morning, Garrett. Um, I uh, <laughs> you'll have to um, you have to rewind a little bit after the show's over and just kind of catch up on uh, on what exactly what you walked into. <laughs> you walked into this particular morning. I thought they said they're going to talk about real estate. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jeremy says pancakes, pancakes and bacon would do it for me. <clears throat> Are you catching up on these comments? No. Coffee and a gorgeous view would get me up. My wonderful hubby just drove to get more cream for me. I thought I said ice cream. <laughs> yeah. 6 a.m. ice cream. Um, Garrett did, because of where he jumped in, he said, wake up and smell the haggis, because you're talking about <laughs> waking up in Scotland. Kirsten said a nice cold water bottle, a workout, and then a good breakfast. Yeah. There you go. Maybe an omelet. You can pay people for that. <laughs> can't pay people to work out, unfortunately. I've... <laughs> Well, Kristen already has something that gets her out of bed. Yes. She already she already came clean and said it's the show. She's excited for it. 
It's amazing. Yeah. She also told me at the um, flip tour that she feels lost now on weekends when she wakes up and we're not there. It's a weird feeling for me too. Because <laughs> I naturally just want to get up and do the show. And then I'm like, oh, well, I guess. A couple of weekends ago, I sprung sprung out of bed and, and hit Wayne. It's like, Wayne. He's like, what? I'm like, what time is it? And yeah, it was like 5.55 or something. And I was freaking out that it was time to do the show. And he's like, and he was just staring at me weird. And I'm like, is it Saturday? He's like, yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Go back to sleep for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a comment here from um, Jeremy a little while ago. I'm just pulling it up. Um, <clears throat> um, so we're changing topics. You got, you got the point at the point um something to think about today and um if we change the topic completely and we talk about something else for the next 40 minutes i highly recommend make a note of this right now to go back and listen to that again after because i think that's the most that'll be the most important thing we talk about today um don't worry about the tactics of of real estate and rental properties and all that other stuff and property management that stuff's easy um it's figuring out what it is that you want that's going to keep you going in this game because it's a long game and you need to position yourself and um, and set yourself up for success um, to make sure you stay in it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jeremy asked, do you think there's a market for turnkey rentals? Thinking about flipping to investors instead of the open public. <clears throat> that is a great question. What do you think, Tom? I think that um, there's definitely investors who prefer nice, easy, turnkey, 100%. But I think that that's a smaller pool than the pool of investors who don't have the resources to just go and put 20% of a, you know, what's a pretty, pretty expensive rental. Yeah. Like, okay, let's just talk like a, a rental with a secondary suite, mm -hmm. you know, like, you can buy one turnkey ready to go for, let's say, four fifty. Yeah. Which what's twenty percent of four fifty? I I don't 90, do math right 90. now. Ninety. So you need ninety thousand dollars. Not a lot of people have ninety thousand dollars. Some do, mm -hmm. and some would gladly go and take the ninety thousand dollars and buy the turnkey property. Mm -hmm. But most, maybe not most, a huge pool of the investors don't just have $90,000 sitting around. And if they do, that would be their one property that they could buy. Yeah. So a lot of people would prefer to do the burst strategy or, you know, to, to utilize their money a little bit better and do some renovations themselves and, and build in that equity. So I think that, you know, there's, there is a market, but I think it's a smaller market. You know, you know who ruined that? I, how far do I want to go into this? Um, I have an opinion. Let's hear it. You're right. Logically, that makes the most sense. So people hear stuff on a podcast that like, why would you go and buy, take your $90,000 and buy one property? Because that's it. That's your ROI is whatever that property makes. And that's it. Why wouldn't you rather just go buy a property that needs some work renovate it, increase the value, and then use this cool strategy, this cool maneuver where you can pull a large portion of your funds out and then recycle your funds so then you can have multiple properties. Well, obviously, that makes total fucking sense. Mm -hmm. Obviously. So everyone proceeds with that logic until they're like, okay, well, what's a good deal? How do I find these good deals where I can buy it low enough, I can renovate it, and then it's worth more at the end where I can get most of my money out? So they get all fucking confused on that. Yeah. They get paralyzed on that, and then they never buy a property. Mm -hmm. So they're still sitting there with their $90,000 with their thumb up their ass, and they don't know what the hell to do. Whereas, and then they go hire a coach for $20,000 to get to teach them how to do it. Yeah. And they sit around for three fucking years doing absolutely nothing, all because some guy in a podcast said, recycle your funds. Don't do that with your money. That's not a good ROI. Yeah. Literally every day I see this. Yeah. Which, again, logically, it makes the most sense. But what's 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 holding you back? 
right? If you're going to do that, then do it. Do something. Do something. Yeah. Right? And then some people, they own turnkey properties. They buy turnkey properties. And I, I study this shit. I study people, the way people act, the way people do things, why they do things. And what I've noticed is, is that when people buy turnkey properties, because I like turnkey properties, but I know why. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've been on both sides. Yeah. Right? I've, I've, I've had turnkey properties. I've done burrs. And I've done rent to own. I've done agreement for sales. I've done private lending. I've done seller finance. Like, I've done it all. And yet now, it's like people ask me, what do you want? And I'm like, single family homes, you know, low 300s, a cash flow with long-term tenants. I don't want suites. Yeah. I don't want to do burrs. Well, why would you do that? It's because I have experience and going through all of that, I realized that is, that is the best. Simplicity. <laughs> simplicity. People are like, oh, no, I'm not interested in any of that. Because I heard some guy in a podcast that said you should do a burr. Okay, cool. Yeah, you go, you go do it yourself and then come back to me in five years and you'll, we'll be on the same page. Um, which is fine. Everybody's got experience on their own. But I think about the people who buy turnkey properties out of the gate. And I would say 99% of them were sold that idea or sold that opportunity by someone in a position of influence. I bought it at a key spire weekend. I bought it from this realtor who I, we've been looking at properties for a long time. And he told me it was an amazing deal. I bought it from this coach who had some sort of an investor package where he did a renovation and part of his coaching program, they gave me this property. It's always from someone in a position of influence, mm-hmm. right? Because it's never you saying that's a good deal. It's someone else saying that's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? You know what I'm yeah. talking about yeah. right now. Yeah. And I can't, I'm not going to name names or point to other than that one institution that I named first. Um, but I'm just explaining when you go to a weekend event and they say that they have these pocket listings or they have these amazing opportunities, people jump to the back of the room or they jump to someone who that they believe that they trust that they ha- has influence on them. And then they say, this is an amazing opportunity. It's a new area. The, the builder is offering three years worth of rental income at $3,000 a month. Oh my gosh, this is an amazing opportunity. And then they buy those turnkey properties. Mm-hmm. Right? In the beginning, when we didn't know any better, we trusted a, a professional yep. to tell us what a good deal was. And I bought turnkey properties. I didn't know any better. Right? And it had, maybe I came into the room and I said, uh, I want to do burrs or I want to do rent owns or whichever else. And then someone, you know, in a position of influence would have said to me, oh, no, 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 you don't want to do that because they'll just trash the place. And then what happens if they walk out or everything else and they give you all that fear and discouragement and then they tell you, you need to buy this because this is an amazing opportunity. It's $30,000 under value and it comes with this and it's got this and tenants love air conditioning. And then you go and you buy it. Right? Yeah. What I'm getting at is that it's never you're not you're never the one making the decision. In most cases, in the beginning, in most cases, it's someone else telling you what a good deal is, which is very interesting. Yeah, which is very interesting in the power of influence. Again, I study this stuff. Well, what do you do when you're learning anything? Though <clears throat> you listen to people who are doing it, mm-hmm. like that. That's that's just how we learn, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not shocking. It's not, you know. It's, it's the normal path of learning how to do anything. Well, just think back to all the decisions you made up until this point and how many of them were your decision and how many of them did you, well, you felt like it was a really good deal and an opportunity because someone told you it was. The reason why I bring this stuff up is because I honestly, Jeremy, <clears throat> I think that you could put together an amazing deal and an amazing package and it would make total fucking sense, but people would say no. Unless you have a ridiculous influence over them and d- unless you are like, you know, the head of the, 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 the biggest teaching program in Canada for real estate investors and everybody wants to be with you and be near you and hear what you think. I don't think, I don't think people will buy it mm-hmm. because I have created businesses that are so fucking logical and no brainer in deals that are, that make total sense. But people are like, eh. Yeah. And that was early on because I didn't have enough influence over them. They didn't believe me. They thought it was too good to be true. Yeah. How many times does that happen? Where you're like, you see an amazing deal on the MLS 
and you're like, eh, what's wrong with it? There must be something wrong with it. Yeah. That is the fucking dumbest thing I've ever heard in the world. Whenever I hear someone say that, oh yeah, you know what? I saw this deal, but can you tell me what's wrong with it? There must be something wrong with it. Yeah. It's been on the market for, you know, a week already and there's no offers. What's wrong with it? Meanwhile, if something's been on the market for one day and there's 27 offers on it, you're like, I got to pay $40,000 over market value. This must be a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get it? You really got to think about why we think the way we think. Yeah. And why people think the way they think. And that is how you sell, right? Yeah. Jeremy says, so I should start a podcast or another huge marketing tool. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, I don't, you know me, man. I don't lie. I don't bullshit. I could say something on this podcast and everybody would follow. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Wayne would never use that. I don't. <laughs> that's the thing. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. I, I use my influence for good, though. I use yes. my influence to inspire people. I don't use my influence to sell. You know that I have a mentorship and coaching program, but I also give you all of it for, for free. free. Yeah. It's your choice. You choose. That's what I want. I want people to make the logical decision what's right for them. Yeah. Here is all the free stuff. Here is all the paid stuff. Here is why you would use one. Here is why you'd use the other. You choose. I don't give a shit. Yeah. If I gave a shit, I'd be sleeping right now. I would be sleeping. <laughs> I, I would not be waking up for another two hours. Yeah. Right? So in regards to your question, again, <laughs> thinking about flipping to investors instead of the open public, I, I had a, I had a model for that too. Um, back when I was still doing agreement for sales, um, I was locking up agreement for sales left, right, and center. I had so many under contract to the point where like, I couldn't do them anymore because a lot of them were like break even cash flow and like some of them were negative 50 bucks cash flow, but they were like seven or 10 year agreement for sales with zero money down. Like they were amazing deals, but you don't want to fill your portfolio with 20 though, 20 of those things. And then something goes awry and Next thing you know, I'm negative 4,000 bucks a month. Um, that's just logical. So, you know, we were making sure that we were balancing our portfolio with good cash flow and also good opportunities like those. So when I had those locked up, first thing I thought was, like, okay, okay, I'm really good at this. I can lock up agreement for sales. Um, and people are looking for agreement for sales. There's a business here, right, Jeremy? You know, people want zero money down deals or low money down deals and they want financing included right? They want it for long terms of seven to 10 years. That's what this is what people want. Yeah. I'm going to sell it to them for $5,000 a deal. I'm going to sell the property for $5,000, 5,000 bucks. And you can own a, an agreement for sale for seven to 10 years, 5,000 bucks. There is no one else offering anything remotely close to that since the day I did that, like five, six years ago. No one is, no one has done anything like that. Those are amazing fucking deals. What are people saying? I put it out. What do people say? Well, why aren't you taking it? It must it's too good. It sounds too good to be true. If if you got it for zero money down, why aren't you keeping it? Why are you giving if it's gonna profit eighty thousand dollars over the next seven years or hundred thousand dollars over the next seven years, then why aren't you keeping it? You already got it for zero money. And I'd explain to them that obviously because of the negative hundred bucks a month or two hundred bucks cash flow, I can't fill my portfolio with this. It's just not safe, it's too much risk. I need to mitigate that, I need to balance my portfolio. Oh, it's negative $200 a month. Well, yes, you understand that obviously when you're, when you're buying an agreement for sale from a home buyer who put 5% down, 95% loan to value mortgage amortized over 25 years, naturally the mortgage payments are going to be higher. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking for an AFS where, uh, where it's 80% loan to value and amortized over 30 years. If you can find me something like that, let me know. And it needs to cash flow. It needs to cash flow. Yeah. And I want it for zero money down. And those people will never do an AFS. <laughs> They're still floating. They're still fucking floating. I, I, I it's just, it, it, it's not, it's not spite or whatever. It's just like, it's just like, I'm frustrated with like, here is an opportunity right here. I've provided the community with an opportunity I'm sharing. And I wanted to make a business out of it. I wanted to help people and I wanted to make a business out of that. Mm -hmm. I do, I was going to do 10 of those a year. I was going to make an extra 50,000. No, I was going to do 12 of those a year. So you do one a month. This is my, this is my logic and my plan. I was going to do 12 of those a year, make an extra $60,000 a year. And I was going to buy a property every year. That was, that was what I was going to do but early on. I'm going to do what I'm good at. I'm going to sell it for cheap, help people get started in the game and make an extra $60,000 a year. And I will buy a $300,000 property every year. Mm -hmm. 
It sounded like a perfect plan. Yeah. But no one bought them. Two people bought them. I sold two agreement for sales. And that was it. Yeah. And then it got to the point, I'm like, okay, screw this. Why am I wasting my time doing this locking up deals if nobody wants to buy them? Yeah. Now, since then, obviously, the, the, the agreement for sale community is, is has grown quite significantly. A lot more people know what it was. There wasn't as many people that knew it before. But, again, like. I think it's, I also think that, uh, I know that we're kind of like getting a little bit off topic here but like with I'm talking about sales, how people are dumb in general so we can <laughs> we, we could speak on this for hours but like also I like I think that a lot of people have a really hard time wrapping their head around like negative cash flow but like just in the little example that Wayne had there of like negative $200 a month but it's over seven years like you have it for seven years if you think of like a $350,000 property and you brought 20% down and you bought that property that's <clears throat> 70,000, 70,000 bucks. You'd need to buy that property. But if that same $350,000 house was locked up under agreement for sale and you paid $200 a month in negative cash flow, that'd be just shy of $17,000 that you paid over seven years. So you got into it with your little negative $200 cash flow. Think of it as, as a savings plan. Mm-hmm. The only money you put into it was just shy of seventeen thousand compared to seven D seven zero. One seven versus seven zero. If you wanted to save two hundred dollars a month to buy that three hundred fifty thousand dollar yeah. property at twenty percent down, it would take you twenty nine years. <laughs> twenty nine years yeah. at two hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So people just they can't wrap their head around it. They're told cash flow is king. Like you need like everything needs to be cash flow for it to be like safe and stuff. But when you're getting in for a zero money down. Like you just need to, and like Wayne said, there's risk mitigation. You don't, you don't build a, you know, a portfolio of, you know, 30 doors that all are negative cash flow. That's not sustainable to your life. No, you, <laughs> but you, yeah, yeah, you pick up a few of those and, and you're laughing. You'd be negative $600, $6,000 a month in cash flow. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, your family's ruined. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And if you have any vacancies or anything, or repairs or maintenance, I mean, you're going to have to set aside some money for that reserve fund as well. But um, agreement for sales are a really great way to get started when you don't have any money and you don't have any prospects for joint venture partners. That's what I did. Yeah. I built that up and I leveraged that. I brought in joint venture partners on those agreement for sales. That's how we grew it. Mm-hmm. Just in the exact same you know spot that most people are in. Most of you listeners yeah. are in. I want joint venture partners, but I don't know how to get them to say yes. Yeah. Go find agreement for sales, build up your portfolio on your own, prove yourself, prove your worth and your value to someone else, and then they will partner with you. Yeah. Just an, it's, it's one example of how you can do it. That's how we did it. Right? Uh, yeah. And we documented the whole process, the whole journey. Yeah. So Cody, Cody says, wasn't the first thing Wayne taught us in basic training cash flow? Yeah. Yeah. Basic so- training. Uh, but also, Cody, if you brought that that seventy thousand dollar down payment for that three hundred and fifty thousand dollar house, and it's a break even or it doesn't cash flow, you've made a very poor investment. If you've brought zero money into it, and it negative or breaks even, you've made a pretty darn good investment. Mm-hmm. So you you need to yes, cash flow is very important. Uh, you need Depending cash what flow you're in your portfolio yeah. in order to be to, to to be sustainable. Yes, absolutely. That's why I stopped doing the negative cash flow thing was because the portfolio in general was negative. But if you have other properties that cash flow really well that can support those properties, yeah, then your portfolio will do well as a whole. Um, the point is is understanding the value of an opportunity. I actually. Um, I did a, um, I did an agreement for sale deal analyzer for Barry and Donna a couple of years ago. Um, we developed a deal analyzer to determine whether it was a good deal or not, which is all subjective. Um, it depends on your opinion of what a good deal is. So when people ask, is this a good deal? It's kind of hard to say, you know, it depends on you, but the purpose of the AFS deal analyzer was to provide a value, a measurable value of an opportunity. And the two opportunities that come with an agreement for sale are one, the seller carries the financing and two, 
a reduced down payment or a reduced investment. Okay. So when you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I've ran this through a mortgage calculator over the next seven years, I'm going to make $90,000 in mortgage pay down. I'm probably going to get some appreciation, but I'm negative $200 a month in cash flow. Is this a good deal? I see questions like that all the time. Is it a good deal? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, how much down payment did you have to put in? Zero. Or let's say $5,000 a month. Okay, $5,000. And how much would you have to put if you bought this traditionally? $70,000. Okay. So you reduced your down payment from $70,000 to $5,000, which, uh, oh, that would be some difficult math. Um, How much does that (laughs) increase your ROI? Mm, I won't be able to do that one. Not this early. I'm sure somebody can figure it out for me. I just, my head's not right there. But, you know, let's say, for example, a, the down payment was 35000 And if you bought it traditionally, it was 70000 Then that would double your ROI. Right? Mm-hmm. Because your investment was reduced by half. Right? So figure out what would you, how would your ROI increase if you only put 5000 as opposed to 70000 Your ROI on your money would... Pfft, somewhere in the 1,000%. ROI or something along those lines. Yeah. I don't have time to do the math while I'm talking, but just to give you some perspective. So there's value right there. There is a measurable value. It's hard to measure, but there is a measurable value as well. What is the value of someone carrying a mortgage for you? How valuable are mortgages to you? We all know we've talked to mortgage brokers on average, you can get four or five or seven or eight. Everyone has a different, you know, number of uh, mortgages that you can get in your personal name. So if you're capped out at four or five, seven or eight mortgages and you can't get any more mortgages, now you need to go to the B lenders, you know, and get the, the mortgages with, with, with lesser, um, uh, lesser terms and lower, uh, higher interest rates Then having someone carry a mortgage for you at a nice low interest rate is valuable. How do you measure that value? Then what you do is you measure the negative value of a negative $200 a month deal and then determine whether it's a good deal or not. That is, that, that is essentially what the AFS deal analyzer did was it, I, we, we set values to each of those things so that you can plug in those numbers and determine, is this a good deal or not? Mm-hmm. Out of 10, mm-hmm. we just on a, on a very simple grading system of like zero to 10 yeah. and it was a point system. It was, it was, it was really good. I I was quite proud of myself for being able to do that. It took me some time. Um, but that is essentially how you figure out whether something's a good deal or not. But what I was trying to do is I was trying to give people the information, logical information that they needed to know whether something was a good deal or not to make the decision themselves rather than just being influenced by someone in a position of power to tell them what a good deal is. Well, and just on that topic, you know, what drives me freaking crazy is the question of like, how much profit should I make in like a flip? We get asked that all the time because we're flipping right now and we have our open houses and everything. And it's like, what should, you know, what's the minimum profit that I should, you know, would be considered a good deal. That depends on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like people who have been doing it forever and have like mastered their trades and their template and, you know, like all that kind of stuff might not touch a deal unless it makes a minimum of, of like over a hundred grand. I hear that all the time. And they have marketing machines that find the properties that they can get way under value versus somebody just starting who's like searching the MLS and like looking for whatever. Like maybe if you, you know, make like, 10,000 or 20,000, that's freaking fantastic. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so it's like, it is so dependent on you and where you're at and how experienced you are and all those types of things. So it's like, yeah, just I, on the same kind of topic there. Yeah. Well, let's touch on that topic right there. What is, I see Cody saying, what's, what's your time worth? And my, the value of my time has gone up significantly more as I've grown my business. Yes. Where I don't even, I, I can't take phone calls anymore. People ask, can I have a phone call with you? I just want to touch base and connect with you. I don't have the time. I don't. My, yeah. And even if I did have an hour today, this, this, the value of this phone call is not worth it to me. No offense. No offense. I think you're probably a great person. I just don't, 
If somebody takes offense to that based on the amount of time that you give to the community, that's like, sucks to be them. Oh, that's exactly (laughs) it. I'm like, guys, if you want your answers, questions answered, then just come on the morning show at 6 a.m. Oh, yeah. Can you just answer this for me really quickly? Like, do you not, like, you clearly don't respect my time because mm-hmm. I'm giving away so much of my time every single week in order to provide answers to the community. But I just need to make sure that I'm, I'm auditing it and I am allocating it accordingly so that I still, I'm able to run my business and be a good dad and husband. Um, but I wanted to go back to what you were saying a second ago. What was it? You were talking about the flips and if 10 or $20,000 is a good deal or not. And you know what, that whole, that whole, that the group of people that said, I won't touch a deal unless it's a hundred thousand dollars profit, that shit kept me away from flipping for years. Yeah. I was a victim of that fucking comment. Yep. 100%. Because I'm like, well, I quite clearly can't find those types of deals in this market. I said it myself like a fucking idiot. I said, well, this isn't the type of market to flip in. And now in hindsight, I'm like, fuck, I wish I would have flipped back when the market was flat. I wish I would have. Because my model would have made way more sense. Yeah. I would have gotten way more deals. Yeah. Way more deals. I would have gotten way more seller financing on my deals. But now that it's hot, it's like, you know, I kind of, I realize it now. I made a mistake. But I came to that that conclusion last year. I was like, why? Why am I listening to somebody else's number? It should be my number. What is What is good for me? So when you think about it, it should come down to risk. And what is your risk tolerance? What is your risk reward? that you're willing to, to accept, right? Now, if you were able to do a flip that was 100% financed and you paid for the renovation on finance, like you financed on credit cards or line of credit, so you're only into this thing for like maybe five grand, 10 grand or no money because you can flip with none of your own money. You can use, you can finance it all. Um, and you were able to make $20,000 in three months I think what people are doing is they're comparing the $20,000 to the $100,000 they heard this other guy say. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is a crappy deal. That's too risky. Well, yeah, when you look at it from a risk perspective, what is the worst thing that can happen? Like, what does the market look like? If I sell it for less, if I open up a wall and there's a, a, um, a lamination crack. Yeah. Or along, um, uh, what do you call it? Horizontal crack then yeah, obviously, then I know that the cost of that is going to be $20,000, $25,000 to fix. So my profit spread should be more than enough to cover the worst case scenario. Yeah. And it always is. Yeah. Okay. And if that happens and I break even on that property, I'm okay with it. Or if I lose five grand on that property, I'm okay with it because the next property I'm going to make 30 or 20. So is $20,000 a good number or $30,000 a good number for a flip? Yeah. Based on my risk tolerance, that makes sense because I'm doing volume. And if I could make $20,000 with none of my own money, in three months and very little of your time in you very little on there time. you're not, so you're not working the tools you yeah. build everybody else is doing everything you found the deal but really your realtor found the deal you tell them what it is that you want you go and sign the paperwork you go and sign for the credit card and the financing right and then you tell the crew what to go and do and they hand you a twenty thousand dollar check in three months yeah like if you don't see the value in that then you know what i mean yeah that's easy that's easy, so easy. Or would you rather go try and find a joint venture partner and spend a year begging people for money to make $20,000 in the next five years and have yeah. to do all the property management? Well, and you know what else is like is pretty funny and maybe a perspective change for people is that they'll go and work their tails off at a job for $100,000 in a year, in 12 months, how many hours of, of work is that? If it was like an eight hour day, how many days of the year, mm-hmm. um, you know, like all that thing, they'll take a hundred thousand dollar salary and Hey, that's a pretty good salary over the year. Yeah. And then think, Oh, a deal, uh, a deal isn't good unless I can get a hundred, hundred grand profit off of it for this three month project. What logic is that? Like, where is the logic in that? They'll work their asses off for a year every single day of the week, Monday mm-hmm. to Friday, for that hundred grand. But they expect to make a hundred grand in three months, or it's a bad deal on this other flip project that they're not that they're not going to be involved in. They just yeah. need to find the property and put their team on it. Want to know why? Somebody told them. Well, someone told them, and it's safe. Saw a post yesterday. I've seen this post a million times before, where um, 
someone's willing to take out $200,000 worth of student loans to get a degree, but they're not willing to go and get a $50,000 line of credit to start their business. Mm. Where the fuck is the logic in that? Yeah. How do you plan on paying off that that $200,000? People get ruined by that $200,000. You have to pay off that $200,000. Yes. Okay. That, that, that's not an invest, that's an investment in you, but you do not, you have to, you have to go and earn money. You are the business. You actually have to go and turn the crank for like 20 years in order to pay that off. You have to live on ramen noodles and, 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 and you can't buy a house until you pay that off for 20 years. But the $50,000 investment, that thing can continuously keep working over and over and over making you money passively. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or you go get a hundred thousand dollar line of credit or a loan and you start a flipping business and you flip a house and you make twenty thousand. You flip a house, you make twenty thousand. You made eighty thousand dollars that year. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they don't have enough confidence in themselves because the student loan is safe. Everybody else goes to school. Everybody else gets a job. It's mm-hmm. safe. Yeah. They're not willing to take a, a chance on themselves. Yeah. They're not willing to think for themselves, which is the whole the whole theme of today of not willing to think for yourself and know what your worth is and know what your risk tolerance is and know what you are capable of. Yeah. Bit of a rant today. I apologize, but sometimes I bite my tongue and sometimes I think it's important to speak out. First step is getting up early every day. First step is getting up early and saying, I want to get up early and I want to better myself. That is literally the first step. Yeah. But what you need to do is you need to take that and continue to do things you're uncomfortable with for the rest of the day, every single day. Now, it could be argued that if you could find something that makes you want to get up every day, if you could hire someone for $600 a month, $20 a day to come and make bacon for you in the morning and you started your day off that way, would you not feel more inspired to do more things if you started it off right? Or perhaps, I was going to say the impact would carry through and you would accomplish way more. It's a bad more. example, but I think <laughs> that the morning show is a really good example. By starting your day off with listening to the morning show, getting up and learning and surrounding yourself with other people who are taking action, surrounding yourself with other like-minded individuals and starting your day that way, is a really great first step to your day in order to make sure that you are continuing to follow through on that Mm -hmm. and continuing to follow through on those types of actions and doing things that maybe make you feel a little uncomfortable, but you know that they're the right thing to do to give you the life that you want. Yeah. Right? Taking control of yourself, not letting yourself fall into comfort zone. The second you hit the snooze, you've, you've, you've given in to comfort. I know how warm that bed is. I know how nice that breeze is coming in through the window. Trust me. I know. But the second you tell yourself, you tell your body, you tell yourself that I am in control. That's when you go and start making decisions for yourself. Yeah. Starts right there. Can we answer a question in the last few minutes? I just want to save it. I, I, I just want to finalize that by saying that like I do know how hard it is when you're getting started though I know I do know how hard it is when you're getting started and you're looking at these strategies and you see people doing it and you know that's the right thing for you but you just have no idea I just don't want to get myself into trouble I just don't want to get myself into trouble I know that burrs are right I know that flips are right but you like when you got to understand that like I just don't know what a good deal is I don't know what numbers I should be using and I know that you're saying it depends on me but like I don't even know where to start mm-hmm. I don't I have no idea is $5000 good well no because if there's a risk yeah if if there's a the crack in the foundation it costs $25000 to fix then you're going to lose 25 so I would say let's let's say 20 or 25 would be a good starting point realistically and anything above and beyond that would be good. Okay, cool. So what you're saying is a good deal is a minimum of 25,000. I, I get it. I know you, you're trying, I can give you, I can give you that information, but to determine whether a good deal is falls between, I'm just giving general numbers right now. Don't use this as, as, as real life examples. But if, if you're trying to figure out, you know, Wayne says 25,000, some other guy says a hundred thousand. So what is a good deal? That is up to you. 
go through the risks first of like all the things that could happen. Okay. And then now you've got your minimum number and then try and figure out what return is good for me based on the risk that I am taking on. Okay. And then look at how badly I want this. Mm -hmm. How much risk am I willing to take in order to grow this business and to scale up? Because even though, yeah, I could break even on a couple deals this year. Um, if I do it this way, I'm able to do significantly more, which gives me more opportunity to make more money, grow this business, get more profits, and then do more deals at the same time. Mm -hmm. This is all generally speaking. This is literally the stuff that like we cover, like in the mentorship program in the, in the REI cabin or she's, so I'm kind of like, I'm giving surface level of this. But like, this is what it's all about when you're trying to figure out like your business and, and like how to build your business and, and try and get to your goals. I'm giving you guys little snippets of it in order to give you guys some value today and give you guys something to think about. There is enough here in order for you to make a decision. There's enough here in, in order for you to be able to figure out what it is you want in life and how to build a business. Okay. Yeah. Again, this is the free stuff. So if it's still like, you're still like, I just need a little more. This is, this is the free version. I'm just, I'm being, again, I'm, I'm not a bullshitter. As I said to Jeremy earlier, like I'll give it to you guys for free. That's something to think about today. Yeah. What was that question? Um, well, just first, um, and it says, Brad and I have thought this way. If we are doing deals while still working, any profit we make is extra money for our business slash family. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good perspective there. Yeah. That is really good perspective. Yeah. Um, okay. So just last few minutes, I'm going to scroll back up here. Jeremy asked that we answer it before the end here. So Varsh had a question. Can I, can I say something? Kirsten yeah. says my time seems to be worth a lot more with, to me with each passing year. Absolutely. Because you start to really... As you grow, you gain a lot more confidence in yourself and your abilities and your capabilities. And then that is when you start valuing yourself a lot more. Once you start believing in yourself a lot more, in your decisions and your actions. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with your business and how many doors or how much cash flow you have. It has everything to do with the confidence in yourself. As your confidence in yourself grows more, you will value yourself and your decisions and your time significantly more. 100%. Okay, so um, right first thing this morning, 10, 10 minutes after six, Varsh asked. What? <laughs> um, <to> Sorry, Varsh. <laughs> so to add to Jeremy's question about um, flipping turnkey rentals and t towards investors. Did I close that out of, okay? I think we did. Yes, 100%. Send me um, would you flip turnkey properties to investors and joint venture with them to save taxes on the profits? What are the pros and cons of doing that? Okay. And so, sorry. Uh, I was just going to ask you to walk me through that. Okay. Yeah. So you, you flip a property. So here's the thing, Varsh, is that if your JV partner, like if you're flipping and selling it to them and then joint venturing on it, you've sold the property and you are 100% capital gains on that property that you just flipped so there is no tax savings there because you've still flipped it if you joint venture on it after they purchase it from you that's separate from the money that you made from the flip and sold it when you sell it when you when sell you it, sell you it realize yeah the capital gains yes or the gains sorry the yes taxes. so in that scenario no there would be no tax savings however if your partner was the one to buy it or you were the one to buy it you renovate it and you kept it and then yeah. brought in a joint venture partner on it to yeah. bring, say, 20% of the new value. Yeah. Then you would, it's almost like a burr where you get like the yeah. down, the 20% out of it mm -hmm. back into your pocket and you have a joint venture um, at the new value. So this, the sale, the sale of the property is what triggers the taxes. Yeah. And so in that, in that case, you've now turned it into a rental property and are holding it. So yeah, it's, it's almost like you've kind of birded it in your own way <laughs> with a joint venture partner and now it's a rental property. So whenever you end up selling it, it's 50% capital gains. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. There's like this whole conversation about like the color of tools that I missed while I was talking. 
<laughs> people debating about yeah yellow and black and red tools yeah um i i know it's seven but um should we save amanda had a question did you see that i'm trying to scroll we can to answer find it. it i still have okay. questions back from yesterday and last week that okay. like i just well we we have places to be first thing this morning so we can't be too oh yeah we can't so we're go going too to long. check out our property to do a quality inspection yeah um and then we're getting keys to another property at 12. yeah and then after that i'm going to look at another property oh, jesus okay <laughs> okay so Which let's I'm gonna rant enough for let's answer amanda's question yeah, sure. because we always we always uh leave hers for the next day <laughs> for some reason sorry amanda <laughs> when you ask questions dead in the middle of the episode that's when they get missed yeah <laughs> because normally um we're, we're in the middle of some rant yeah okay so amanda asked do you use a realtor for most of your transactions how do realtor fees work for FISBOs for sale by owners or any situation where the seller isn't using a realtor? Hmm. Okay. So two questions. Yeah. So do we use a realtor for most of our transactions? I prefer to. Yeah. I prefer to have someone bringing deals to me. And they do, they do the work and the paperwork instead of us having to fill it out and all that stuff. And our realtor has access to wholesalers and and off-market deals and pocket listings that we get sent as well. So a lot of wholesalers, what they'll do is if they can't find a buyer through their traditional lists, or maybe they're just like, they don't have a good list of buyers, they will contact investor-focused realtors in the area and they will just ask, hey, do you have anyone that'd be interested in this deal? So you can get off-market deals. Mm -hmm. um, also, I, I read offers on the MLS all the time. I'm doing one today. Um, now, the second part of that question was... How do realtor fees work for FISBOs or any situation where the seller isn't using a realtor? Well, typically you wouldn't use a realtor Yeah. on your end because they won't... If, if it's for sale by owner, they probably aren't willing to pay your realtor's fees. So if you want a realtor to represent you in that where the seller does not have a realtor and they're not willing to pay, then you would be responsible for your realtor's fees. And that would be 3.5% on the first 100,000 and 1.5 on the remainder. Yeah. So $400,000 house would be 4,500 plus 3,500 is 8,000 bucks. I'm um, not going to math check. Sure. Right, that's right. <laughs> okay. That's right. Someone will correct me if it's not. Um, so you'd have to come up with that $8,000 for your realtor, unless you worked out some sort of a deal with them. Um, in most cases, you know, you just, we talked about this before, you just develop a really good relationship with your realtor and make sure you reciprocate and provide them tons of value. If they know that you're going to be buying properties from them in the future, then they'll be willing to pull comps for you from time to time. You know, if you have a, if you find an opportunity on a, on a for sale by owner deal. So, um, it's all about relationships, it's all about building a power team, it's all about providing value to that power team and those members. And they'll, they'll do favors for you like that. That takes them, what, five minutes to pull comps? In a lot of cases, good investment, investor-focused realtors, they have a team of someone in the office that's, that's pulling those comps for them while they're on the go. So that's, that's what I would recommend. Um, but if you want to have a realtor represent you, you just have to pay their fees, um, which is the standard fee structure. Yeah. Cool. Did I answer it? You did. Okay, perfect. Beautiful. Hey, guys. Um, Told you at the beginning, rewind, listen to the first 20 minutes. Okay. That was, uh, you know what I said? I said, that's going to be the most important thing that we talk about. And then I went on another rant for another 20 minutes after that. Yeah. That so, was also important. That was also very important. Um, I like today. I like today as well because we ranted. Yeah. And Wayne didn't shit on me like yesterday. So that was good. Easy does her. Easy does her. Yes, he is still for sale. <laughs> Accepting offers, free is fine. I owe you on a live podcast, and what she does, she, she puts goes, him up for sale. She goes and, and tries to sell me on the internet. <laughs> uh, she outs me on Facebook. Okay, all right. Are we even? I don't know. <laughs> I think the bank lady yesterday said that you should buy me a really nice present, unrelated, but you still haven't done that either. So I'll make it right. <laughs> um, I we don't say this very often, but when I do, I mean it. Um. These are the most important episodes. These are the ones that I, I highly recommend you re-listen to. Mm -hmm. This is this is very valuable information that we're throwing in here that we'd otherwise only include in our coaching or in our cabin retreats. So I'm just telling you right now, it's go and re-listen to it again because if you can figure this shit out, mm -hmm. if, you, if you can figure out how to be confident in yourself and how to know what it is that you want, I, these are these are these are the keys 
to succeeding and, and longevity in this business. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate it when I'm talking serious and Gabby's just like giggling like a schoolgirl because she's reading the comments. So what is in the comments? Uh, Patrick says, this <laughs> transaction of Wayne will be by way of agreement for Fuck sale. <laughs> we'll proceed by way of agreement for sale. <laughs> killing me. Killing me. I'm trying to trying to put out a good, solid quality product for you guys here in service. And Gab's laughing like a little schoolgirl. And I'm like, what the hell did I say? We can oh. have days where we're serious and we can have days where we're goofing around. I, and I think we balance it really well. I think it's almost every other day. Some days I'm giggling and I'm playing sound effects. The other days I'm like... I'm super serious. I think we balance it really well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very healthy, mm-hmm. healthy for our listeners and for us. Yeah. You were going to say something? Oh, I've just written so many uh, agreement for sale offers that it's just like that line, that line. Yeah. Are you that, are you, are you that much of a desperate seller to include seller financing terms? No, I will not hang on to the mortgage of Wayne Hillier. You take them, you fucking give me the down payment and you take them. <laughs> okay, so you're not offering seller financing? No, no seller financing. Because you do not. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. It's almost I, it's almost like I'd I'd still house you, but I'd like pimp you out for like for real estate transactions, for like the real estate business. Options? <laughs> You'd provide options on me? I don't know. I'd like to just give you away to be honest. If I could just give you away, we're good. Well, it's it's on in relation to today's topic, Gabby quite clearly knows the value of Wayne. You guys have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investing Morning Show. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Interested in being a guest on the show? Send us an email to info at reimorningshow.com.